Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We have since Pentecost in our daily lectionary readings been working through the epistle of St. Paul to the Romans. And we are now in, as of these today or tomorrow, in Romans 8, which if you've ever heard any catechism class with me at some point in catechism or uh, maybe even off the cuff doing Wednesday nights a year and a half ago or so, uh, Romans 8 is one of those texts. There's kind of spots in the Bible where many of the threads that are running through kind of all suddenly converge and they are nice plateaus or uh, mountaintops from which you can see and survey the rest of Scripture. There's particular points like this. Uh, we can think of John 1. We can think of the Sermon on the Mount. We can think of certain passages in Isaiah. Uh, you might say most of Genesis, because Genesis kind of gives you at least uh, where the vantage point where you can see where everything is going from there. Uh, but Romans 8 uh, is one of the hearts of the epistles, if not the New Testament. The Apostle Peter uh, talks about in his epistle how hard it is to understand Paul. And if you've ever tried to read Romans, uh, First, kudos if you've got past maybe the first three chapters, because those are kind of like, okay, I get the point. Everybody's sinful. Okay, I'm tracking. And then you get fourth chapter, and you're like, okay, I'm struggling a little bit with Abraham. And then you get fifth and sixth, and then by the seventh, you're probably like, I don't understand what's going on now. Well, you're not alone. Uh, Paul is hard. Uh, it is always hard to read somebody else's mail in the first place, right? Because this is a letter. This is a, to somebody else. That's not you. Uh, a long time ago. But we also have, with Paul, we get a lot of theology. And we also get a lot of the conflict that was happening in the church in Rome and in the early church period. But we have a resource that... I have finally uploaded all of the recordings where Reed Davis has, uh, in his own path actually to orthodoxy, uh, Romans is one of these books, especially if you were uh, in a Protestant church, and especially uh, a Protestant church that was very much, because there's a lot of flavors of Protestantism, but more of the kind of general Reformation uh, you would look at Romans as kind of one of these very, very important books. But you would look at it as very important with like slivers of verses. I'm not going to say probably taken out of context. You maybe heard something like the Romans Road or something like this. It's not what I grew up with, but I was surrounded by it. Um, we had a very different path to Romans being Church of Christ in my background. <laughs> uh, but you have with the book of Romans gets treated like a kind of uh, free-for-all. You kind of go to Romans 10, you see, you see people are saved because they confess Jesus Christ with their mouth, or uh, something on it. And it's 
there's no context for the rest of Romans 10, or maybe you need to actually read the next chapter because they didn't have chapter uh, breakdown or a verse breakdown when he wrote the letter. He was like, okay, now I'm starting chapter 11, verse 2, and now we can start here. But when you get to, uh, for Reed, he decided to read St. John Chrysostom, his homilies on Romans. And it was reading through Chrysostom's homilies on Romans that Romans suddenly kind of fell together for him and made sense uh, in a way that it had kind of held together before, but when he was able to read it through St. John Chrysostom, uh, he was able to see Romans in completely different eyes that seemed to make the most sense out of Paul, out of the early church, etc. So you may be wondering who is St. John Chrysostom? St. John Chrysostom is a 4th century uh, bishop, uh, it's a theologian, preacher, he's known for his exegesis. Uh, the reason why he has the name Chrysostom is because that is the Greek for golden mouth, the golden tongue, right? That kind of mouth is a whole region. So his reading of Paul, and let's just put a little footnote or encourage. If you read Greek, that's already you're a step closer to trying to understand Paul. But just being able to, you know, parse some verbs or figure out maybe the grammatical structure of some of the sentences, uh, maybe not some of the longer ones, especially if you look at like the book of Hebrews, you've got these like sentences that go on and on and on and on and on and on. Uh, you are still missing. It'd be like if you tried to pick up a 17th century English poem or play or work, and you can make out a lot of the words, but there's references, there's things going on that you just don't really know what to do with. Well, Chrysostom is a few hundred years away from Paul, lives in the same world, was trying to do it the same ways. So he is able to, uh, he's more of a contemporary with Paul. So it's always one of this challenge that I have seen very often, like I want to stick with my interpretation of Romans that came, and you can't find it anywhere but until about the 16th century, maybe 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, they're still coming up with all sorts of interpretations of Romans to this day. So you could say in 2003, there was a book published, blah, blah, blah. I'm gonna go and stick with Chrysostom in the fourth century, he's closer, uh, and the broader consensus of the fathers. So all that kind of technical stuff to the side. <laughs> Romans 8, uh, and you should, I was doing all that to plug, you should listen to the class. It's all recorded, it's all on a podcast, you can find it and uh, download it. It's on the link on the website. Uh, to be able to, especially if you're reading through Romans, to be able to listen to uh, read having already sifted through Chrysostom and brought out certain aspects of Chrysostom and the way in which he interprets, interprets Romans. So why, for me, is Romans 8 one of these parts or vistas of Scripture? We have the Christian life put before us in its grandeur. The specifics of what it is to have our hearts twisted up inside of us, to have a war going on within our hearts that for Paul he puts in language about spirit and flesh, life and death. Paul says in chapter 8 verses 5, 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. We as Christians in following Jesus Christ are striving to live after the Spirit. The Spirit versus the flesh here is not about uh, different aspects of what it means to be human, like, like a soul and then like body or something. We are talking about a way of life, a way of existence. One is to be carnally minded, and that means to be focused, concerned, most of your mind and the thoughts going on are concerned with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, to borrow from another apostle, John. That we are after what looks showy, or after our belly, and maybe below our belly. So these are the things that we are constantly thinking about. And when you think about these things, you can imagine what your actions are proceeding from your heart. You're going to have a fleshly, a carnal, right? Like carne, carnal, flesh. That's your focus. But there is a war that goes on between the things of the spirit, the things of the flesh. Because we know that the carnal mind is actually enmity with God because God's spirit, God's law, as it says here, to be carnal in mind is to be not subject to the law of God. Kind of, we can boil it down to something rather simple. If we are always following after our bellies, our desires, the things that we think look good or make us look good, you can tell the word I'm using over and over again. Me, 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 I, I, I. Our world becomes completely fleshly because it becomes completely concerned about us, and therefore there is no law of God. The only thing is the law of what we want, what we think we need, and nothing to do with the whole point of creation. God is nowhere on the horizon. Paul continues saying, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This does not mean that the, because we have bodies, or rather, we are bodies, that we are not of God, we can't please God. But it has to do with what our mind or our heart, we kind of actually can collapse it, what we desire, what we love, what we want. Paul continues, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, talking to Christians. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. To be fleshly, to be concerned about me, myself, my belly, my desires, my lusts, the things that I think I need and want, versus Christ. For the Spirit is Christ. To follow after Jesus Christ is to follow the life-giving Spirit. 
that it, Paul says here very specifically that it dwells within us. This is again not some kind of idea, this isn't something outside of us, but the life in the Spirit is something that we actually do, that we actually conform to, right? Because this isn't Spirit versus law. This is the ability in the Spirit to actually fulfill the law of God, to obey the law of God. And it's something that has to come from outside of us, because we on our own energy, our own abilities, our own vision, our own minds, our own ideas, it all ends in death. We're not going to raise ourselves from the dead. We're going to die. But the life in the Spirit is to begin with the resurrection life here and now, putting to death all of the things that are poisoning us. The lusts, the passions, the things of this earth that are not rightly aligned to God. Paul continues that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. This is the resurrection spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one that at the beginning of Romans Paul talks about the spirit, the Holy Spirit raising Christ from the dead. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the dead body, you will live. This is why in the Desert Fathers, you have the little maxim, you must die before you die. Which is not talking, of course, about the fact that we should physically die, but that we must die to the flesh, to the carnal mind, to the enormous eye that radiates and can only see, even in other people, a reflection of oneself. To attain the spirit through the following of Jesus Christ, the spirit of resurrection, the spirit that will transform this body and your body if we are beginning that process here and now. This is why the Orthodox Church commemorates the saints. This is why we have many monastic and ascetic saints, or that we celebrate in Mark martyrdom. And even in our hymnody can get a little, um, we talked about torture tonight, for example, with Procopius, the great martyr Procopius. Because we have and see what is the most important thing, which is God and eternal life and the truths that come from him, that we live, that we embody, that we share with the world for the life of the world. So may God give us uh, insight, wisdom, and the visitation of the Holy Spirit to be able to put to death all those things in us that are poisoning us so that we may live with him who reigns with the Father and the Son, always and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. Amen.